Welcome to Living Water Radio. How do we reverse the institutional decline of the church in the Western world? Lent. Today, we're going to see why. My name is Pastor David Burkadal. My wife, Reverend Sally Welch, is co-producing this podcast. Sally is an ordained minister actively focusing on ecumenical and interfaith ministry. I served Lutheran Christian congregations in Compton, California, and in San Dimas, California, for over 40 years. Today, I'm filling in temporarily for pastors in the Los Angeles area. Maintaining our yard is my gym, and I'm attempting to learn Mandarin Chinese. We are retired clergy and have over 80 years of ordained ministry experience between the two of us. Check out our first Living Water Radio podcast, number zero, Welcome and Introduction, for more information about us and this podcast. The American humorist and satirist of all things Lutheran, Garrison Keillor, once said that for Lutherans, every Sunday is in Lent. I hope that he meant that every Sunday points to the love and grace of God in full exhibition and accomplishment on the cross, and not to our storied reserve. This coming Sunday will be the second Sunday in the church's season of Lent. One of my colleagues posted a meme recently quoting Lamentations 340, Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. He commented, And that's what Lent is all about, Charlie Brown. So, let us examine our ways. We all know that the church is in decline in the Western world. And if we don't know that, we can see it for ourselves in our own local churches. Reasons for its decline are many. Distrust of institutions in general, the isolation of social media, identity politics, the decline of Western civilization, radical individualism, the influence of science as a philosophy, the sexual revolution, youth sports, the Enlightenment, relativism, and moralistic therapeutic deism, what some think is our actual religion, just to name a random few. And then there are the problems we have created for ourselves. The rise of the church as a social club, as an advocacy and social service agency using religious language, as a small power base protected by its stakeholders, as a cheap imitation of our culture, as a business and or as a political powerhouse, the disconnect between denomination and church, the sexual abuse scandals, the professionalization of the clergy, cynicism and doubt as virtues, and many, many more. Our sins are legion. How can the church move forward? Does calling oneself progressive mean that their beliefs will lead to progress? C.S. Lewis once said, We all want progress, but if you're on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. In that case, the man or woman who turns back soonest is the most progressive. I'm not saying that the church should return to a time when it was pure. That never existed. I am saying that the church should consider moving forward along the lines of the reading from the Gospels that will be read in the vast majority of churches this coming Sunday, Mark 8, verses 31 to 38. One day, just before these verses, Jesus was in a non-Jewish area outside of Israel. He was walking along with his disciples when he asked them, Who do people say that I am? His disciples answered with some popular theories. Then Jesus asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter said out loud what many had been thinking and hoping, but no one had had the nerve to say, You are the Messiah. 
Then we see this at the beginning of our gospel lesson for this week, Mark 8, verses 31 to 33. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Peter went from having a really good encounter with Jesus to having about the worst. Many people in Peter's day believed that when God sent a deliverer, the Messiah, an anointed one like the great kings of Israel, like King David, he would be a great military leader who would deliver them from the Roman army. That's one of the reasons Jesus drew such an enthusiastic crowd as he rode into Jerusalem on the day we call Palm Sunday. People are people. We all tend to want Jesus to serve us and on our own terms. When Peter heard that Jesus was going to suffer and be rejected by the religious authorities and be killed and then rise again, this just sounded nuts to him. He began to rebuke Jesus. Jesus looks at his disciples and in turn rebukes Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan. Why? Because Jesus was thinking only of human things and not on the things of God. Jesus, who was at the same time fully human and fully God, came to die. One of my favorite Christmas stories happened when I was serving at Faith Lutheran Church in San Dimas. We had an excellent preschool, and one day one of the preschool moms stopped by my office to ask if I had a minute to hear a story. She said that a friend of hers had invited her family to attend the Christmas Eve midnight mass at a Roman Catholic church and school in a nearby town. The church was full and there were a lot of children. Just before the sermon, the affable local priest invited the children to come forward for the children's sermon, and her son, a student in our preschool, went forward. The priest gathered the 20 or so small children around him and asked if they knew what they were celebrating. Christmas, they all said. And who can tell me what happened at Christmas? About half of the children volunteered. Jesus was born. That's right, the priest said. And who can tell me where Jesus was before he was born? Some fewer children said, in heaven. That's right, said the priest. Heaven must be a terrible place for Jesus to want to come here. No, even fewer children said, heaven is a wonderful place. Well, why would Jesus leave a wonderful place like heaven to be born here on earth, the priest asked. No one's hand went up except for that one visiting child's. The child said, so he could die for us. The priest was very pleased, and he asked proudly, and where did you learn that? The little boy leaned into the priest's microphone and asked loudly, Faith Lutheran Church? The mother said that the priest laughed a lot. Jesus gave his life for us on the cross. That's the main event of the Christian faith. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds about sacrifice in Mark 8, verses 34 to 37. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. 
For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Jesus speaks about money more than any other subject except the kingdom of God. Why? He knew the power that money has to warp our true selves and to shift our values from the gifts of God to ourselves, from eternity to only now. Leo Tolstoy, the Russian author of War and Peace and other classics, wrote a short story with a similar message called How Much Land Does a Man Need? A man who is greedy for more land hears about a group of simple farmers with a lot of land. He offers to buy their land for a low price. They counter by saying that for a thousand rubles, he can have as much land as he can walk around from sunset. He can have as much land as he can walk around from sunrise to sunset. But if he doesn't get back by sunset, he loses his money and gets no land. The man is ecstatic, thinking that he has gotten the bargain of a lifetime from these simple farmers. He starts walking, but every time he thinks about circling back, he thinks that if he walks a little farther, he can get more land. He keeps walking. Then, when he is far, far away, he makes his loop and starts walking back. But now he realizes that he is way far out, and he starts running to get back in time. He runs faster and faster, faster and faster. He makes it back to the starting point just as the sun sets, but he is fully exhausted, and he dies on the spot. He is buried in a hole six feet long and three feet wide, all the land that a man needs. Jesus knows that his teachings are going to be unpopular with some, even counterintuitive and countercultural. He addresses this in the concluding verse of this week's Gospel reading in Mark 8.38. Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Sometimes I consider the state of the world and the condition of the church, and I think that maybe we just need to consider that we also live in an adulterous and sinful generation and withdraw from it. Maybe we need to build small local self-sufficient schools that teach farming and the trades in addition to the great ideas, moral education, critical thinking, and higher learning. Maybe we need to build Christian communities that are defended against and serve the local communities. And maybe not. Jesus did not abandon the world in its sinfulness. He came to serve, and he died for us, and he calls us to do the same. Richard Halverson, former chaplain of the United States Senate, once said, In the beginning, the church was a fellowship of men and women centering on the living Christ. Then the church moved to Greece, where it became a philosophy. Then it moved to Rome, where it became an institution. Next, it moved to Europe, where it became a culture. And finally, it moved to America, where it became an enterprise. Would it be better for the church today to refocus, to be a fellowship of men and women centering on the living Christ? Near the end of his book, Bad Religion, Ross Duthat, a columnist for the New York Times, observes that the Christian church has been in decline several times in its history, and two things have brought it back, holy living and the arts. 
We can see the great music, literature, dance, painting, and sculpture that has conveyed the Christian message through inspiration and patronage over the centuries. We can do it again today. What would holy living look like? I think that a part of that would be in living who we have been called, equipped, and sent to be by the power of the Holy Spirit, who precedes us and struggles with us in every mission field. I read an article last week on why Finland is sometimes rated the happiest country in the world. It points to the research that identifies these three characteristics. One, a strong sense of community and relatedness. Two, doing good deeds for other people. Three, finding a clear purpose for oneself. Are not all of these at the heart of what it means to be a Christian? And yet they are not by themselves enough to make people happy. I read another article by a Finnish psychologist who pointed to the high rates of depression among Finnish people. Can both be true? It is certainly true among Christians, and it is at the core of holy living. Part of our worldview, our understanding of reality, is that people were created for a living relationship with the one true living God. We rejected it. Jesus died to restore it. That relationship of faith is free to all who turn away from their rejection of God and open their hearts to receive it. Living the Christian life is not about what we do, but about who we are, or better living on purpose as whose we are. That reality is what produces what we do. Works are an outcome of faith. Are we living from faith? Are our minds not on human things, but on divine things? Are we grateful for the cross? Do we have what we need? We still live in a fallen world where sin continues to separate the world from God, and we experience the negative aspects of life as a result. But they are not the final answer. Jesus is. We may sometimes be depressed or angry or discouraged, but beneath those things lies an indestructible joy that is at the core of holy living. Jesus said in John 16:33, I have said this to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you face persecution, but take courage, I have conquered the world. What is the answer to institutional decline? It's our emphasis during Lent, as in Lamentations 3.40. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Today, let's remember to pray the Lord's Prayer, the one that Jesus taught us. If you don't know what that is, contact us at therevsdavidandsally at gmail.com or send us a tweet to at David Burkadal and we'll send it to you. Send your prayer requests to either of the same addresses and we'll include them next time. Send your comments, questions, and concerns there as well and we'll respond to every one. As always, we encourage you to stay hydrated, to open your heart to receive the living water from the source, God's self, the living presence of the one true living God, the God who gave himself on the cross so that all who believe and are baptized might be restored to the living relationship with God for which we were created. 
Remember your church. Identify one if you don't already have one. Pray about it and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. Ask a friend about it or a family member. Google it. Contact the pastor. When you have a church, go to or tune into the worship services they have available and support your church with your time, your treasure, and your talent. Pray for and support your pastor and church leaders as they seek to do God's will for your congregation. If you are having thoughts of suicide or are struggling with mental health issues, call somebody. Contact a friend or a relative. Google a local or national hotline. Reach out. There are people around you who will walk with you through this dark time into the light. You are not alone. Wear a mask when you're outside your home, practice social distancing, wash or sanitize your hands regularly, avoid crowds if you can, and be outside if you have to be in a crowd. But most importantly, get your vaccines and boosters. It's the one thing you can do to literally save lives and get us back on track. Be kind to everyone you come into contact with, everyone you meet today struggles in some way. Be a helper and encourager. Thank you for listening to Living Water Radio. We are here for Christians and for the people of the Los Angeles metropolitan area who are looking for a sense of Christian community, a source of hope, and a way to thrive together as we move into the new normal. We hope you'll tune in next time and invite your friends to do the same. Meanwhile, Sally and I encourage you to open your hearts to receive living water, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and stay hydrated. <laughs>